It's been a number of weeks, but let's go to the book of James, shall we? James chapter 4. We are working through this wonderful and packed, practical little letter of James. So wonderful, so helpful, so relevant, so needed. And even the section today in James chapter 4, so needed for us. The title of the sermon that I want to preach today is this, Anger, Its Root, Its Ruinous Results, and Its Replacement. I pray that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will minister to every one of your hearts in ways that I'm not able to do. I don't have the knowledge to do that, nor the power to do that, but I do believe in the Spirit of God. He can, and he does do that. So follow with me, James 4, I'm going to read verses 1 to 3, and then I'll preach it. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. It wasn't all that many years ago that a leading news source put out an article with this title. Nearly one in ten Americans have severe anger issues. And then they went on to state and declare and diagnose from a worldly, secular, unbelieving perspective what they thought anger was and what they thought about the source of anger and what they thought about the treatment of anger. It's everywhere. everywhere. Everybody has a solution, they think, for anger. One psychologist posits that anger results from a combination of trigger events and the personality of the individual and your appraisal of the situation. And so the psychologist then says, well, how do these people find help? Well, they need support groups and they need therapy and they need deep breathing exercises. That's what will help solve the symptom of the problem. Another licensed therapist said this about managing your anger. He said, lifestyle changes and deep breathing and therapy can help those who have a hard time with anger so that they can gain more control when the anger breaks out. So you need to connect with a licensed therapist who can guide you into learning to manage your feelings of anger. Or... In the DSM, that's sort of the Bible in the psychiatry world, the DSM-5, under the category of mental illness, it's called IED, Intermittent Explosive Disorder. It's disruptive, it's impulsive, it's a disorder. And then as you continue to read the DSM, it gives these treatment as a twofold. Number one, there must be psychotherapy, often cognitive behavioral treatment. And then second, there has to be medication. A couple of professors 
from the University of Arkansas and the psychology department conclude, quote, there is currently very little agreement among mental health practitioners as to what constitutes an anger problem. Well, that's not helpful. Very little agreement among mental health practitioners. Interestingly, from the American Psychological Association, quote, remember, they say, you cannot eliminate your anger because anger is a psychological issue. Now, it's possible, they say, to treat the symptoms with medication while the goal of treatment programs will be eventually to make the patient self-sufficient. Particular medicines can be helpful in the treatment phase. Antidepressants like Prozac, Alexa, and Zoloft are commonly prescribed for anger issues, end of quote. What hopelessness! Hopeless! I mean, that's what the world has to offer. That's it. I love how in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this The wisdom of this world is foolishness before the Lord. Praise the Lord, you and I have the clear, the all-sufficient wisdom of God contained in the Bible. So our soul, our reliable, our divine and sufficient source of truth is right here in the Bible. God gives help in diagnosing and treating the very root of your anger. God gives the solution. Now, I want to review a little bit before we dive into this topic here in James chapter 4. It's been a few weeks since we've been in the little book of James. Remember, James, the author of the book, is the pastor of the early Jerusalem church, and he is writing because he's urging true faith among the early Christians. He, he wants the early Christians to have a true faith that really works. He, he wants them to have a faith that really genuinely shows itself in obedience. So this James is the brother of our Lord Jesus. It's probably one of the earliest of the New Testament books written. It's a very pastoral book. It's a very urgent book. It's a very clear call for living, vibrant, obedient faith. You say you're a Christian? Pastor James would say, prove it. Live it out by your life. It's easy to just give the lip service, but prove it by the way that you live your life. I love the way one commentary put it. He said, James wants you to live an uncompromisingly obedient life. I like that. Uncompromisingly obedient. So in chapter 1, remember James is writing to the believers, and he, he wants them to know that practical, wise living endures trials with perseverance and joy. Chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, Pastor James wrote, and he said that a true living faith shows itself by rejecting favoritism and demonstrating itself by a life of good deeds. Remember, you're not saved by your works, but a true faith that saves will always demonstrate itself by good works. 
And then in chapter 3, Pastor James wrote, and he said that true Christian faith is shown by controlling our tongue and living with heavenly wisdom, not earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom, which comes from God. Well, in chapter 4, where we are today and in the next few weeks, is we're going to look at living with humility. True Christian living must show itself in humility toward God and humility in our relationships. And one of the topics that James brings up is, guess what? Anger. Anger. It's like the ever-present problem. Shirley nearly divided the women's ministry in her church over her personal conflict with Margie. It could have and should have been settled quickly, immediately, individually, and privately, but instead it dragged out and gradually involved more people and eventually split the church. One day, Sophie was so angry with her preacher husband that she threw an apple at him while he was studying and broke his eyeglasses in the home. She was so filled with rage, she began to chase him around the house. Little Luke and little Johnny, three years old, three years old, Luke and Johnny, they're playing with their cars one day in the basement, and then one of them grabs a little handful of cars that belong to the other, and guess what? Fiery rage from the other spewed out of the mouth, outbursts of yelling and grabbing and pushing. How dare you take my cars? Two deacons in a church became irritated with each other because they would have handled the setup for the Easter service a little bit differently. It led to the silent treatment, and it led to avoiding one another. Bitterness, resentment, anger boiled as they refused to talk and reconcile and love one another. A dad just cleaned the windows and the front siding on his home over a sunny, warm weekend, and he gets home after a long Monday's day of work, and he sees muddy soccer ball marks all over the windows and the front door and the siding of what he just spent the weekend cleaning, and he's filled with rage. And he throws open the front door, and he just starts yelling people's names. He doesn't know who did it. He doesn't care who did it. He's mad. You work hard. You're crafting an important email for work. And there's preparation and a little bit of research and communication with others on your work team and other clients that need to be involved. And so you craft this well-written, important email, and it has to be sent and received by a certain deadline. And then when you're nearly done with this email, it's lost. Irrecoverable. You've had that happen before. And you're mad. You're upset. All that time for nothing and you're angry. Oh yeah, Christians can get angry. Christians can get angry. You can get angry. I can get angry. And Pastor James knows that. He knows that. 
And he offers help. And God, through the pen of James, is going to give us clear, divine, sufficient, relevant help that we need to pay attention to. Now, we're going to look at these three verses here, and I want to preach slowly and carefully through it, but let me just give you some initial observations as we look at this passage as a whole. Just initial big picture observations. Number one, James is writing to the church. He's writing to believers. Remember verse one, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He's writing to believers. In verse five, he's going to talk about the spirit of God who dwells in believers. In verse 11, he's going to talk to the brethren. So this this is written to the church. This is written to believers. A second observation is we have God's sufficient wisdom. Hear me here. Hear me carefully. We don't need to mingle, nor do we need to integrate worldly wisdom with biblical wisdom as we talk about the topic of anger. A third and just an initial observation that I want to mention, and I'll bring it out as we go on later. James is going to echo his brother Jesus's words from the Sermon on the Mount a couple of times in this text. He's going to talk about how anger is murder in your heart. And then he's going to also allude to the words of Jesus, ask and you will receive, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. A fourth, just initial observation, crystal clear, hear me here. The one responsible for your anger is you. The one responsible for your anger is you. And that leads to the next initial observation, and it's this. Our great battle with anger is not outside of us. Man, if I had a better job, if I had a better boss, if I had a better spouse, if I had better children, if I had this or that. No, no, no. The battle is not so much outside of us, but the war that rages inside of us because so often we want to live for my kingdom instead of God's kingdom. So in James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, what we are going to see here is God is going to diagnose the all-too-common issue of anger. And this is so cool. God made us. He knows us. He understands us. He formed us. He tells us the real problem. He tells us the real problem, the real danger, and yet he also tells you the real solution to your anger. Christian, quick footnote. You know what the most scholarly, advanced, licensed, school, academic, psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, you know more than the unbelieving therapist knows. Why? Because you know what God says about the makeup of man. And you know that the real root issue, as we're going to see here, is our sin. And you know that the real solution is found in Christ. Something that the non-believer doesn't even have a category for. And I tell you that because when, when you're interacting with people, whether it's a son or a daughter or a parent or a sibling or a coworker, you know, 
And as we're going to look at today, you're going to know the root of anger. You're going to know the, the results of anger. You're going to know how to replace your anger. And you're going to know the power that God has given you to do this. So let's look at it together. I want to give you a very simple outline today. Three simple words, and they all begin with R. Number one, the root of anger. Number two, the results of anger. And then number three, the replacement of anger. The root, the results, and the replacement. So we need to begin first at understanding anger, its root. Its root. What's the source of this? Where does it all come from? Because we need to, first of all, understand that the angriest person alive right now is God. God is angry, and there is a righteous anger. Anger is an expression of God's perfect holiness toward sin and toward all evil. That's why Nahum chapter 1 says that the Lord is avenging and the Lord is wrathful. It's why Ezekiel 16 says that Israel's idolatry is what makes God angry. What is the anger of God? What, What is a righteous anger? It is a perfect expression of holy indignation toward all that is evil and all that is opposed to God and his character. You and I might think that we're righteously angry much of the time, but it doesn't last very long if it's righteously angry. But God is always perfectly, righteously, in the truest way, angry in the Since that he has perfect indignation toward all that is evil and all that is opposed to him and all that is opposed to his character. There's a righteous anger. But James is dealing with another kind of anger in verse 1. Look at it in your Bible. It's the question of all questions. I mean, you could go to your office Monday morning, tomorrow, and read this, and I promise you'll have people's ear. What's the source of quarrels among you. Where do all the fights come from? I mean, everybody wants to know, why is there so much anger? Why is there so much hatred? Why is there so much killing? Why is there so much hostility? Why is there so much fighting? Why, why, why? Where does it come from? Interestingly, in verse 1, what is the source? In the original Greek language, there's a little word that James uses, and it could not be more clear. What's the source? What's the origin? Where does it come from? It's the word in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, and people say, where? Where did he get this wisdom? What's the source? What's the very root of all of it? What is the source, the very genesis, the very beginning point of all of this conflict and quarrels among us? Where does it come from? Verse 1 says, is not the source. Literally, it's, this is really cool. In the original Greek, James says, is it not from right here? I mean, it's like James puts the finger on it, and he says, is it not from right here, this very place? Here's where all your quarrels, all your fights, all your arguments, all your anger, here's where it all comes from, right 
here. What is it? Answer verse 1. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Is not the source your pleasures, your self-indulging passions? I like the way one English translation renders it when it says, Isn't the source because you are full of selfish desires that fight to control your body? Now, you got to hear this. Here's what James is saying. Where do the fights and the quarrels and the conflicts come from? Answer, it's from right here. It comes from your pleasures that wage war in your members. James's point is this. You can't look elsewhere for the source of your conflicts, but you have to look within yourself. Because the source of our quarrels and the source of our conflicts is you. It's selfishness. Okay, so here's a man and here's another man. And they're in an argument. They're not seeing eye to eye. And they're, and they're becoming selfish because he wants one thing and he wants another thing. And they're not willing to budge. And they're digging in their heels. And then they begin to accuse each other as being the cause of each other's problems. And then other people will begin to take sides with them as they're blaming it on others. And then an all-out war erupts. James says, you've missed it all together. The root of our conflicts and our anger is not him. It's not her. It's not what they've done. It's not my background. It's my selfishness. God is wisely and clearly declaring that the root of all your conflicts is you. We're good at blame shifting, aren't we? Kids are good from, at blame shifting, and they learn it from us. But you can't blame it on your wife or your husband, or the kids, or your personality, or the neighbor, or the slow driver in front of you. You can't blame it on your past. You can't blame it on your circumstances. You can't blame it on your family heritage. You can't blame it on a tough situation. Why do I get angry? What, wh- why am I in a conflict? Why is there so much quarreling in my life? Answer, James would say, I know the source. It's right here. It's you. It's you. So if you hear anything in this first main point on the root of your anger, anger is like a diagnostic tool. It exposes our allegiances, or maybe a better word, it exposes what we're worshiping. It it, it exposes what I love and what I crave. Do I I crave for God's plan to be done? Or do I crave for Jeff's plan to be done? And then I get angry when I don't get what I want for my plan. This is a blessing to help us. It's a blessing to help us repent and confess rightly. It's a blessing to help us come back to our Lord for his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace and the power of the Spirit to help us walk in obedience. 
Wayne Mack has a wonderful quote in his book on anger management. Here's what he says. I think he nails it. Wayne Mack says, much of our sinful anger comes when we have an agenda. You hear that word? We have an agenda. And someone or something is standing in the way of me fulfilling that agenda. Well, I want this. And I want it now. And I want it this way or that way and whatever it might be. I want And so much of our anger comes because we have an agenda, and yet something or someone or a circumstance or whatever is standing in the way of me fulfilling my agenda. So maybe in contemporary language, your anger reveals what rules your heart in that moment. Passions, cravings, pleasures. And we often say, well, it's, it's, it's what I need. It's what I need. I need this. I need that. Or maybe we might say, it's an expectation. I expected that you would do this. Or maybe we, we might even say, it's a goal. I've got a goal that I'm going to meet this by the end of the year. Or a wish or a longing or whatever. When I don't get what I want, I respond with anger. And where does it come from? Where does our anger come from? It says at the end of verse 1, the pleasures are waging war in your members. Let's clarify. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9, don't be eager in your heart to be angry. For anger resides in the hearts of fools. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 10 tells us to remove anger from the heart. Couldn't be clearer. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23 that anger and slander and foul speech comes from within, out of the heart of man. That's what defiles the man. So the real root of our anger is a heart issue. It's not a mental disorder. It's a heart issue. It is a self-worshipping transgression whereby I, in that moment, I see my plan, my agenda, my desire, and I am seeing that in danger of being thwarted, and I don't want that. So our anger in that sense is sin against God. My cravings and my passions and my desires are ruling me in that moment. What is the root of our anger? The answer is self. My pleasures that are waging war in the members. Christian, you you see it there in your Bible. You see it in James 4, verse 1. It's right there. You understand what the world doesn't have a category to understand. God has revealed it in the word. You know the root of conflict, of anger, of hatred, of killing. You know it. James says it right here in James 4. Verse 1. So that's the root. Number two, if you're taking notes, we need to look at the results of anger. What are the results? Well, they're not good. 
A woman came to a preacher once and she was attempting to rationalize and justify her, her angry outbursts in the home. And so she said to the preacher, there's nothing wrong with, you know, I lose my temper, I blow up, and then it's all over. It's just all over. The preacher wisely said, well, so does a shotgun. And look at the damage that it leaves behind and how wise and how true and accurate that is. Oh, anger can hurt, kill. It can leave lots of damage and carnage behind. I think there's a reason why God says in Psalm 37 verse 8, Cease from anger, forsake your wrath. Don't fret, it leads only to evil doing. Turn from your anger. Because it's going to lead only to evil doing in Psalm 37, verse 8. Or earlier in James chapter 1, remember verse 19, everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? The anger of man does not achieve the righteous kind of conduct that God wants. So you say, Jeff, why is anger so bad? Why is it so bad? Because your anger is like a fire. It gets hotter with time. It gets hotter with time. It spreads. Proverbs 29, 22, a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Later on in that verse, an angry man stirs up strife. Earlier in Proverbs, Proverbs 27, verse 4, wrath is fierce and anger is like a flood. It's like a flood. And you you understand that, right? I mean, you have seen it. Maybe you've experienced it. Friendships can be broken over anger, right? Wars are waged because of anger. Christian testimonies, you've seen it, can be lost due to anger. Deep internal wounds in our hearts because of anger. Loss of respect toward individuals because of outbursts of anger. Listen to what God says in Proverbs 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit. Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool always loses his temper. Or, later on, Proverbs 29, 22, a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Or Proverbs 12, verse 16, a fool's anger is known at once. Remember that account in the book of 2 Kings of the, of the man Naaman? And Naaman got message from uh, the prophet Elisha about how he could be healed of his leprosy. And Naaman got an answer that he didn't want. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 5.11, Naaman was furious. Because why? He wanted to be healed. There's that word. He wanted to be healed, but he didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get it the way he wanted it. He didn't get it when he wanted it. And so he responded with fury. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 11, the man Sanballat was furious and very angry when he heard the Jews were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, and he didn't want that at all. Daniel chapter 2, speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar, he was furious and he gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Why? Because he didn't get the interpretation of the dream the time he wanted it. Do you see this? Anger is... So dangerous. 
because it can have ruinous results. It's like a fire. A fire can give warmth, but a fire can also burn down the house. Be careful. Notice verse 2. Look at James 4, verse 2. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What's the proof of the results of anger that are so dangerous? Well, it's this in verse 2. You lust, you desire something, not sexually speaking, but just a craving. You're craving for something, and you don't have it, verse 2, so you commit murder. Now, I don't think James is writing to the early church and there's people murdering each other in the, in the church family. He's using the language of Jesus, his brother. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you're angry with your brother and you say, Raka, or you're, you fool, it's like you're committing murder in the heart. What is anger? It's murder of the heart. Just like in verse 4, James is going to call them adulteresses. I don't think James is saying there's a bunch of adulterers walking around the church. I think what he's saying is it's, again, the language of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. Lust is adultery of the heart. You have turned away from your faithful love to God. The story is told of a couple of men in Southern California who got into a battle of road rage in a parking lot. They were leaving a store one day, and one cut off the other, and the hot-headed man sped out of the parking lot, and the other one sped after him. And they're going down this road, and they're speeding recklessly, and they're dodging and weaving in and out of traffic until one of them loses control, and he goes up on the sidewalk and hits and kills a little girl. Because of anger? In a parking lot? Because someone cut him off? The ruinous results of anger. Anger does not just stay small, nor does it not hurt anyone else. Verse 2 says, you lust and you don't have, so you commit murder, murder of the heart. And then he says, you're envious, meaning I. I desire, I'm envious, and I can't get it, so you fight and you quarrel. And then he says in verse 2, you don't have because you don't ask. Verse 3, you ask, meaning you pray, but you don't receive it because you're asking with wrong motives so that you might spend it on your own desires. I mean, do you hear all the words of envy and lust and desires? The source of our anger is myself, my desires, my cravings, my envious desires. So here's what James is saying. When you make your desire your own goal, and then you go to God in order to get what you want, it's like James, the pastor, is saying, that's selfish praying. It's like you're treating God like a vending machine. God, here's what I want to fulfill my agenda for my plan for my life, and it'll go well. 
and you go to the vending machine and you put in the right thing and out it comes and you're happy. And James says, no, no, no. So many of our prayers can be self-focused rather than God-focused. And many of our prayers can be about my wishes and my desires and my plans and my agenda for my life. And it's like, it's like James is saying, Christian, take inventory on what you're praying for. Take inventory on what you're praying for. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Remember, when we pray, we are not praying to try to persuade a reluctant God to do what we want him to do. Prayer is so beautifully a way of worshiping God for who he is and his sovereign plan, and it's a way of aligning our will with God's and what he wants us to do. It's like James. James says, do you want to see the, the, the results of anger you, you lost and you don't have, and so you commit murder of the heart? You're you're envious and you don't get what you want, so you respond with fighting and quarreling. And then even your prayer life is affected because you begin to pray selfishly. Do you see how the anger just continues to affect the life? Let, let, Let me give a word to parents here. So many parents here in this place. We have so many Moms and dads in the church, we need to be knowledgeable and pastoral as we care for our children. We need to be knowledgeable as we teach our children about the selfish root of anger and the ruinous results of anger if they're left to their own selfish desires. So I want to take a couple of minutes as sort of a little footnote. Parents especially listen in. The rest of you take notes and pray for us in this. Let me give you the parent's path. What do you do when your kids get angry? Number one, stop and pause. Stop and pause. It's important that you stop and pause so that the anger does not continue to spiral out of control. Number two, gather everyone involved if possible. Gather everyone involved if possible. And guess what? Footnote, this is a footnote to the footnote here. Parent, this takes time. And sometimes we have our plan to do things a certain way, and we've got to be here, and we've got to be there, and we've got to get the kids ready and get them in the car. But this can be an interruption. But it's a God-blessed and a God-given opportunity. Stop and pause. Number two, gather everyone involved. And then number three, this is so key. Number three, ask each one what happened. And the reason that's important, Proverbs 18 talks about gathering data. Biblical counselors, we gather data. You want to gather data. You want to get from the perspective of each of the children, what happened? What what happened? What, What did you do? What happened? And then fourth, here's the key, and you got to get this. Number four, parents, then you ask the kid, what were you wanting? Right there, you have the little idol that that kid is worshiping in that moment. 
What were you wanting? I wanted that cookie. I wanted that toy. I wanted to sit there. I, whatever it could be, I wanted that. That was the ruling desire in that moment. What did you want so bad? Next, number five, how did you respond? So you wanted that little car that your brother had. Well, then I pushed him out of the way. I tripped him. I yelled at him. Oh, because what you're doing then is you're showing that their desire is what determines their actions. It's the heart that determines the actions. What did you want? And then how did you respond? Next, number six, what would God have wanted you to do? Well, love my brother. What would God want? What are you doing? You're teaching and showing your children that even in a moment of anger, God still has something to say from his word. What would God have wanted you to do next? And then ideally, again, if the opportunity allows for this, open your Bible and show them. You know, the Bible says right here, we've looked at it, James chapter 4, or James chapter 1, or Psalm 37, or whatever. You pick the verse, and what are you doing? You're showing them, well, mom and dad said, no, 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 here's what God says in the Bible. Because you want to teach your children that they know it's, they're getting a discipline, not because they sinned against dad and mom, but they sinned ultimately against God. And then next... And then finally, you want to give them the gospel and have them ask for forgiveness. And you want to have them grant forgiveness. Well, so you, you sinned. You, you were sinfully angry. You need to go to your brother and say, own it. Say, I sinned. Will you please forgive me? Okay. He says it. Then the other one says, I do forgive you. And you reconcile. And then you don't bring it up again. You move on. It's the parent's path, not just for kids, but we all can use that. Because of the dangerous results of anger. And James has brought it out here in James 4 verses 1 to 3 about the root of anger, about the results of anger. But if you're taking notes, let me give you number three, the replacement of anger. Oh, Christian. Regenerated by the Spirit of God. You are made new by the divine power. Your old man is crucified, Paul says. The new man is alive. You are washed by Christ. You have God Almighty dwelling in you in the person of the Spirit. Christian, hear this, hear this carefully. You can put off sinful anger. And you should. You can. You can. We're we're not giving worldly integrated wisdom saying we're just going to give you some treatments to help you with the symptoms of anger. That's hopeless. God gets to the root of anger in the heart. And we know, Christian, that God's word commands us to put away anger and to put away bitterness. Christian, hear it. It's possible for you to do it. You can. You can. 
You don't have to give in to anger. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, Paul says, to provide the way of escape. We ought to reflect on God's character because when we are patient and slow to anger, we are emulating God's character. He's patient and slow to anger. That's why James chapter 1 verse 19 says, Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I want you to take your Bible and just go with me very quickly to three scriptures. I want you to go to James 1, Ephesians 4, and then Colossians 3. Let's just go to James 1 real quick. Now, James 1 verse 19, we've been looking at it. I've been mentioning it, but let's look at this for a moment. Putting off, putting on. If we are not to be angry, what are we to do? James 1.19, this you know, my beloved brethren, everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Verse 21, now biblical counselors, don't miss it. Don't miss this. 21, putting aside, that's putting off all the filthiness and all the remains of wickedness. What are you to put on? In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. What are we to do? We are to take God's truth, implant it in us. We are to live in it. We are to walk in the newness of life by which God has saved us. Put off the sinful anger. Put on the indwelling word and the obeying of the word, hearing of the word and being a doer of it. Well, let's go to another scripture of putting off, putting on. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul, it talks about putting aside the old self and putting on the new self. Well, what does it mean to put off sinful anger in Ephesians 4 verse 26? Be angry, he says, or in your anger, do not sin. Well, what do I do? I'm fuming right now. My children did this. My husband did this. My wife did this. I'm furious. Verse 26, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? 27, don't give the devil an opportunity. Deal with it. Deal with it quickly. Why? Because the longer it stays in your heart, a little anger is going to grow into more anger. It's going to grow into bitterness and resentment. Well, then at the end of the chapter, verse 31, Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, well, what do I do? Be kind. You know what that word kind means? Useful. Well, I don't feel like being useful to them. I'm angry at them. No, Paul says, put off the anger, put on usefulness, put on kindness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. For the sake of time, you can go to Colossians chapter three. It's the same thing, putting off, putting on in verses five to 16. But what I love in Colossians 3, though, in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. 
You're teaching and instructing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. But, but the word, the word of God has got to take up a home in your heart. So what do we do? We need to remember that our sinful anger comes because I have an agenda. I've got a plan. And someone or something is standing in the way of me fulfilling my agenda. And you know what we can do? We can say, Lord, give me an open hand to trust you and to say, let your will be done, not let my will be done. To trust. When I get the flat tire and I'm already late, when I hit every red light and I'm already late for that meeting, when I can't find the keys and I've got to split and I've got to go, Rather than responding with anger, give thanks in every circumstance. Christian, I want to help you with this. As a a praying through this, thinking through this, wanting to be helpful... You say, I get it. I understand it. I I get the theology of this. I get the practical nature of it. I see it. It's right here in the Bible. It's convicting. But what do we do in the moment when anger comes? Let me give you a little battle plan. I call it the five P's of anger. Number one, pause and probe. Pause and probe. Take a moment and ask yourself, whoa, 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 whoa. What do I want so bad? I had to do that this week in counseling my own heart, things that happened. Pause and probe. Number two, purification. Purification. I am such a sinner, and yet Jesus is such a great Savior. He paid for my sins of anger and yours as well. All of them praise his great name. Jesus is a great savior who purifies his people. Third, third, you got to get this power, power. Yes, I need to pause and probe. Yes, I need to remember that I'm purified in Christ. But third, I got to remember there's power. The Spirit of God is living in me, and he's at work in me. Paul even says, I will be built up to all the fullness of God in Ephesians 3. I can endure this in a godly way. I can. I know I can. There's power. Not from Yourself, but walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5. And then a fourth P is providence. Providence. And this is hard, but it's also so helpful. God is bringing everything into your life because He loves you, child of God. No good thing does He withhold. For his glory, for your good, for your growth, for you being conformed into the image of Christ. It's like when Joseph was talking to his brothers and he revealed himself to his brothers in the book of Genesis. God brought me here. Well, he could have said, you fools sent me here. No, God. God sent me here. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this perfect 
this good, God-given result. God is bringing everything into my life for good. Fifth P is this, perspective, perspective. When you're angry in that moment, I need a perspective shift. I don't need to build my kingdom. I don't need to advance my agenda. It's not about Jeff having a wonderful plan for his life. I need a new perspective in that moment. Jeff, stop living for yourself. Live for God's kingdom and his glory. But, but I think there's a word that needs to be said, though, as well. And it's a tough word, but it's a biblical word, and it comes out of Galatians chapter 5. The deeds of the flesh are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. As someone living as a practice of your life, no concern for Christ, practice of your life, outbursts of anger, characterized, we're not talking an instant, we're talking a practice. We're talking habits of outbursts of anger without confessing, without repenting, without guilt, without turning to the Savior and seeking the forgiveness and changing by his mercy and his power and his grace. I can't answer that for you. You can. Galatians 5, if that is your pattern of life, God says it to you. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. And amazingly, a non-believer has no power. He has no ability. He has no lifeline. He has no help. A non-believer can't overcome his anger. So if I'm sitting at my, my desk at work and a coworker comes to me and they say, how was your weekend? And you say, man, my weekend was great. I heard about the source of anger. I've got the solution. And they look at you wide-eyed. You can say, I, I know the answer, but you don't have the ability to change. Romans 8, verse 7, the non-believer cannot please God. Proverbs 19, 3, the heart of the fool rages against the Lord. What do they need? They need regeneration. They need the new birth. They need salvation. And here's the good news. The gospel is for angry people. Isn't it? It's for angry people. I mean, it's like the law of God is a mirror that shows you the evil and the pride of anger and the true colors are exposed and we just want to run and hide. But it's the mercy of God that doesn't give what you deserve. It's the mercy of God that doesn't give us what we deserve in that fit of anger. It is the power of God that regenerates our hearts and renews our hearts from anger to patience. What a great God. 
So for those who are battling anger, patterns of anger, unconfessed anger, unrepented of anger, it's a pattern of life. Paul would say, be warned, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. Come to the Savior. Believe upon the Savior. Come, angry men, angry women, boys and girls of anger. Oh, how good it is and better it is to come to God as a twig. A twig can be bent rather than waiting until a mighty oak tree. It's harder to bend an oak tree later in life. Come, boys and girls, as young children. Come while young. Before your habits of anger settle in, confess your sin to Christ. Walk in holiness. And guess what? Angry Christians, there's hope. Because we have a praying and an interceding and a forgiving Savior who has given us his perfect imputed righteousness. God does not look at you in your pity party of selfish anger that happened today or yesterday or this week. God sees you through the perfect righteousness of Christ. So this is the diagnosis of anger. The root, the results, and the replacements. I think as we conclude, there is a verse that I want to give you. It's just very brief. It's from Proverbs 29. In Proverbs 29, verse 8, it's just a short little phrase, but it's so jam-packed, and it's so helpful. Proverbs 29, 8 says, Wise men turn away from anger. But listen carefully. Our English has turn away from anger. And, And that's a fair translation. It's a good translation. But the Hebrew word can also mean Repent. The wise man repents of his anger. Proverbs 29, verse 8. May God help you and me that we would be this kind of wise man turning away from, indeed, even repenting from anger as we fix our eyes upon our great Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for the word here in James chapter 4. Lord, we bow the knee humbly before you, acknowledging our sin, and yet holding and clinging to Christ as a great Savior. We thank you for the mercy of your patience and your long-suffering toward us. What a great God. Thank you for diagnosing us, for revealing it so clearly in the Word of God, showing the real root of our problems, and yet the solution that is found in the transforming power of the gospel. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen. You know, one thing.